Well, hello everyone and welcome to episode two of The Stream, an unscripted conversation with guests who reject the status quo with a bias for action in the world of water and beyond. My name is Tom Freiburg, together with co-host Will Sani. Will, how are you? Tom, I'm well. Happy Monday. Happy Monday to you. Are you still uh, still sane during we're into quite a few weeks now into the lockdown? You know, of course, that implies that I was sane to begin with. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think a number of folks that know me would uh, question that. Uh, you know, we're doing well, doing well. Good, good. Well, um, I think for, for everyone, it's a challenging time, right? So, um, and part of the reason to do this podcast and the video was to just to chat and kind of document almost like a video diary of the people we've spoken to and the things we've heard. Um, so yeah, I, I see this as kind of a, almost a stream of consciousness of um, things that we hear or headlines we see. So, um, what's new in your world the last the last week or so? What's new? Uh, you know, I think we've seen. Well, just to go back to your point, I think this is really important. It's you know, I I think we're clearly not only trying to figure out the world, we're trying to figure out where the the world of water and our relationship with water. Uh, is and, and where it's going. So sharing data points, I believe, is, has been one of really one of the most valuable things over the past several weeks in terms of just you know reconnecting with people, no agenda, no commercial uh, pitch or anything like that. It's really trying to piece together a uh, a puzzle that's never been stitched together before, frankly. Uh, so in terms of what I'm saying, I, you know, I, I think that it, it's interesting. We're continuing to see sort of our core business with corporate water strategy work continue. So we're fortunate that the companies that we have been working for and speaking to are still very committed, if not more committed to building out their corporate water strategies. Uh, you know, obviously, adjusting that to a different world, uh, you know, which includes things like greater engagement with communities, uh, you know, understanding that access to sanitation and hygiene and, and safe drinking water are even more critical now. Uh, and the sort of second bucket, we're seeing a number of companies that are now interested in getting in the water sector that historically have not been in the sector. And I, you know, my view, of course, of that that's a positive thing, that there's a recognition that, oh, gee, this resource that has been invisible and undervalued uh, has a strategic importance in society and business, and, and they want to be a player. And then, you know, I, I think the startup community is, is challenged. Uh, of course, but uh, actually doing pretty well, for, you know, for the companies that we are either informal or, you know, formal mentors too. So, it, you know, that's sort of the shifting landscape. And then, of, of course, you know, one of my favorite, our favorite topics, digital, is uh, taking off. No surprise. No, I think... Um, for everyone, I was reading this morning that uh, Netflix managed to add 16 million subscribers um, in the first three months of the year against a prediction for kind of six, seven million. I know we'll, we'll look at how this comes onto water, but I think in terms of the demand for digital products, the demand for digital entertainment, 
Um, same, we're hearing about Spotify having a record month. And I think businesses who are, are rooted in a digital only business with no bricks and mortar infrastructure, you know, perhaps are, are geared up well for um, what's arguably, arguably going to be um, a huge economic downturn coming up. Well, I, it, I agree with you. But to give you just a, a little bit of a counterpoint, what at least I'm seeing is that there is a bit of a return to handwriting letters and typing letters and phone calls. So there's, there's the dichotomy between, yes, we're, we're absolutely embracing digital because we've lost to a pretty significant degree that face-to-face -face communication, but a little bit of a uh, retro return to, I think I will take pen in hand and write a letter to somebody or type a letter to someone. So it's this sort of interesting shift, you could say, a shift back right. to traditional forms of communication. I think there's something there because um, I'm trying to switch some of what our Zoom calls or video calls or WebEx or Teams <laughs> back to telephone calls, which are um, quite nice, actually, because um, I shared an article from Nat Geo that's saying Zoom fatigue is real. And it sounds a bit melodramatic, but there is some um, some kind of research into this that's saying that when we're um, face to face with people in a meeting, we subconsciously pick up um, body language and cues that are just part of conversation and human uh, interaction. But when you're doing it via um, an online video conferencing program and you've got multiple people looking at you, you're trying to read how people are responding to what you're saying. And that kind of requires more mental energy than if you're doing it face to face. So I think um, there's a, there's a, it's been incredible to see how people and companies are adapting and uh, increasing the amount of video conferencing uh, to get projects done. But I think it's also nice to go back to a tr traditional phone call, or like you say, handwritten letters. So it's, uh, you know, for me, it's easier to walk around the condo on a phone call than it is a Zoom call. So, you know, I, I've got to get my steps in in a day. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to manage the uh, video conferencing uh, quality time against everything else. But yeah, I, I mean, it's a, uh, you know, a very transformative time, uh, you know, tragic in a lot of ways, uh, but also, you know, a wake up call. And, and you and I have talked about this, you know, the basically it's a opportunity to reboot. It's what was good about three months ago, what was not good three months ago, and how do we get rid of what was not good and, and really build a, a very different society. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're right. Um, but on on the topic of, of of digital, because you know we we've talked about um, how, and we'll talk a bit about kind of coming into water. But I think um, the subject that I'm seeing more and more of is about this contract tracing. I don't know if you've you've seen much about this. Is is a way of basically using GPS data um, and Bluetooth on phones so that it will basically tell you if you've come into contact with anyone who's had coronavirus symptoms and to kind of put that into perspective say i was to get a, a bus into my local city um basically any, everyone on that bus socially distanced would um their phones would interact with each other to know that that's been the journey 
And then um, if someone was to, uh, to report symptoms for COVID-19 on that bus through the app, then the people on that bus would automatically get a message to say, look, you've been in contact, you should quarantine. So I think um, this throws up some interesting discussions and we've all seen the headlines about privacy, right? You know, if, if we're willing to fully relinquish even more um, control on privacy, this could enable people to get back to work quicker. And again, this is all rooted on, on data and technology and, and arguably the, the software within the phones as well. So what is privacy, Tom? <laughs> That's a great question. I think um, I'm, I'm teasing a little bit. I, you know, it's no, I think you're right, because so you're saying that by using your mobile phone, by a smartphone, by um, using social media, people are arguably giving up certain degrees of privacy anyway. Right? Well, I think we have to put it in, you know, into this perspective of, uh, you know, is is tracking and traceability to manage a pandemic uh, of value to civil society, uh, and you know, do you embrace that or do you challenge that? And on the other hand, you post everything on social media, thinking that. Oh, you know, it's it's okay. I mean, I I, I don't know. I I, I see a, a bit of a contradiction here. No, it's a that. fine it's a fine line to draw in the sand, isn't it? Because if you look at the the nations that have been quoted as successfully handling handling the crisis, like South Korea, um, parts of Singapore, they've they've kind of used um, this similar technology. I mean, I saw something on the news the other day about um, in parts of China, there's a QR code on on the door to, on the on the entrance of certain buildings where you know you wouldn't be able to track someone's location on a multi say story shopping center so you scan the qr code to say where you've been so it's kind of um increasing but it's, a, it's an interesting one on privacy because um i think if it if it means people can fully get back to not freedom but that freedom of movement that we had you know earlier in the year then it's it's just a necessary step, I think, to, to get people moving and, and interacting and, um, you know, restarting quite a large part of the economies. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, clearly it's a complex issue and I'm not trying to put yeah. it in a, you know, a, a box and say, well, you know, if you've given up your privacy because you want to post photos of your kid, kids and what you ate for dinner, um, you know, you you you're going to be okay with big brother watching you. I, you know, so I, I, to me, it's a complex issue. I think it's important to point out that uh, perhaps people should just be more sensitive to privacy in general and what they share. Uh, you know, I, I know people that will not post pictures of their children on social media. And, uh, you know, I respect that. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's, um, I mean, we could discuss this all day. There's various views on the people who are turning off Alexas at night um, and, and these types of issues as well. But in terms of what you're seeing then in, in, in terms of not just privacy, but data, digital in, in water specifically, um, how do you see what, what we're currently witnessing um, in terms of, you know, very digitally mature companies and utilities um, being able to operate 
business as usual to some extent. Um, do you see it impacting the adoption of digital or? Oh, I, absolutely. I, I, I wanted to go back and focus on, you know, posting photos of uh, food and martinis, but uh, we'll, we'll move on. Uh, we should check out your uh, your Instagram account for those martini shots. It, yeah, you, you should. It, it uh, might be shocking, actually. But I thought, uh, I thought you were a whiskey drinker anyway, not martinis. Uh, yeah, whiskey and, and martinis. Uh, that, that Let's save that for another episode. We can cover cocktails. Oh, the stream after hours. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, um, so yeah, digital, digital and water. All right, so I, I'll, I'll get back on point. Uh, you know, before I answer that question, I I was reflecting back on some of the thought pieces that have been published and, and some of the things that you know, I participated in, in particular, the IWA Xylem Digital Water Report, which was, you know, in, in my view, a great piece of work. Uh, and that really talked about the digital transformation of the water sector, and, you know, based on a lot of interviews and, and research uh, and so on. And it was in many respects, in hindsight, sort of this academic exercise of this is a maturity curve, this is an adoption curve, and uh, this is what's gonna, this is what it will take to get over some of the challenges. Well, we've blown through that. In, in a relatively short period of time. And I I don't want to make a, a you know a broad generalization, but I think in a lot of ways there's a recognition that, you know, analog is not going to get it done anymore. So we have to move towards a digital world in, in both the water wastewater utility sector, but also on the industrial side. Now it's a matter of how. So there's no longer, in my view, a question of, well, why life is good, I don't need to do it. It's a series of questions of, you know, transforming the workforce, it's, you know, a, a ability to pay, who will, who will pay for it, and ensuring the adoption, as opposed to questioning whether there's real value in digital technologies. So, you know, for me, that's, looking back a little bit on a historical footnote and an important piece of work that was published and where we're at right now. And, you know, I'm certainly seeing digital comp technology companies, startups do really well in the marketplace right now in terms of uh, interest, new clients, scaling their business. Um, I, I think it's a, a new world. Yes, yeah, I'm hearing from a lot of companies in terms of um, plant automation and data that are saying they're, they're busier than ever because um, giving workforces, utilities, um, data to continue, you know, and, and potentially plan for, um, you know, staff illness, staff absenteeism. Right. We saw um, the survey from the AWWA that's saying that's one of the biggest concerns amongst water companies is, is how to kind of plan around potential gaps in the workforce. And I think the companies that have, have made the investment into digital, that have got their data sets all sorted, um, are really seeing the, the dividends right now. But I think the, the important part of the, the discussion is the, the culture point, because we know that the, the hardware and the software is available to generate lots of data, to create the full digital twin model that we've seen 
and we've talked about in in Spanish cities such as Valencia but often a part of the the, the digital jigsaw puzzle I think that's left out is is how can you get everyone to see the value in it and adopt it within an organization that perhaps um, is less experienced with with new um, you know digital solutions than before I, I agree we we you know the royal we uh, kind of <laughs> the human piece of the puzzle and all of this and that yeah digital is really cool we absolutely need it uh, however you know there's the learning curve there is capacity building there is training a workforce and and not just in the water sector i mean you know seeing educators challenged in this area also my sister is a fourth grade teacher in new york and she has been on this sort of hockey stick learning curve uh, with digital uh, there's also another piece of the puzzle here in that certainly it's the workforce piece of the puzzle but also connectivity to customers and consumers so how do you uh, as a utility or uh, an industry better connect to your customers and consumers via digital to build trust and transparency and assurance of safety and and things like that so it's you know it's managing the asset it's managing the supply but it's also that other end of the human uh, value chain in, in my view yeah, I mean, I, I've seen some, I reported on a story a couple of years ago, because I've always wondered, I mean, I've, I've written about water and the water sector since 2010, is um, how can we get um, everyday just people to, to take more of an interest in water? Because um, I think that's, if you can get the buy-in from consumers and get them really engaged with what their, their water companies are doing, um, you know, that can, that can be half the battle, I think. Um, a mutual friend of ours, you know, Dragon Savage, often quotes the figure that people um, in developed nations think about water for about nine minutes per year, either when paying a bill or complaining about something. And so I think part of the puzzle that's, that's missing is how can we get people to think, to value, to, to really see, to, to, to see the value of, of what's being delivered to them as well. And I think through gamification, through software, through data. Yes. Um, this is this is one 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 potential answer that could could help. I, I completely agree with with Dragon. I, I'd say that uh, maybe in the U.S. it's not even nine minutes, but uh, in terms of paying attention. So yeah, I mean, you know, water is an invisible resource. We pay almost nothing for it, and you know, that's not to imply that we need to spike, uh, you know, the the uh, price of water, uh, but we need to certainly value it. And, you know, without spinning off into a, another conversation, I think that has, that ties into the other things that we don't value in society that are now absolutely critical. So healthcare, uh, you know, first responders, uh, you know, educators, you know, the, the, the people that are sheltering in place, ensuring that water and wastewater treatment facilities continue to operate. So, you know, they're sort of invisible until you have a crisis. And, uh, you know, I am hopeful that one of the many things we learn is that, wow, yeah, you know, this this human capital that's delivering all these things that we've taken for granted, 
um, need to be treated better. So, yeah. I think that's a good point. Yeah, we can we can definitely riff, riff some more on that in future episodes. <laughs> but um, Will, there's something really, really important that we need to speak about, something very serious, um, you know, business related. Um, and that's the, the shirts that you're wearing. Oh. You know, because um, some of the feedback we had from, from the pilot episode um, and the social media post was about this uh, hashtag flannel shirts that's going on. And I have to admit, um, we need to be careful with the um, the translation because uh, I was thinking about this. In, Eng in England, a flannel also translates to a square of cloth that you use to uh, wash um, for oh. hygiene re reasons. So we would also call it a checked shirt. So, um, but but nice choice today, by the way, on the, uh, the oh, balloon number. This is my favorite checked shirt. <laughs> How's well, that? This is my second favorite flannel shirt. So between the two of us, I think. Oh, good. <laughs> this is a cross-cultural uh, exchange here. I love it. Uh, well, you know, it, it, on that serious note, we, we do need to think about uh, pivoting into summer wear. So, yeah, I think we had um, work, had someone but... comment about Hawaiian shirts. Could be an option, summer edition. But um, this is a nice segue because we, we've kind of said um, we are going to have feature guests um, on the stream, yeah. people that are um, very optimistic, people that are innovative, people that are kind of forward-looking and, and, and futuristic in what they're bringing to the market. I know we've already um, looked at guests involved in uh, blockchain for water security, as well as um, vertical farming with solutions that, that use 97% water. So some really cool guests we've we've got coming up on the show. Um, and we we're going to mandate that they have to wear a flannel or checked shirt, right? Or Hawaiian. Or Hawaiian or, yeah, or I, can, you know, I, Thomas, this is endless. We can exhaust this for ages. I've seen you in a tuxedo, so, uh, you know, I wouldn't rule that out. We should do... Um, a kind of one-year celebratory edition in, in black tie. I'm, I'm all for that. Okay. <laughs> deal. You have a deal. Good. Well, um, Will, nice uh, nice speaking with you. Uh, this for episode two. Um, for people who have, have liked what you've heard, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, make sure you, you follow and download the podcasts across Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, and also Stitcher. And uh, we look forward to coming back in another couple of weeks uh, with our first guest. So, uh, Will, always a pleasure. Keep strong, keep the faith, and uh, we'll, we'll catch up with you soon. Sounds great. Tom, be safe. Have a good week. You too.